Hey everybody, I'm Rob McMichael, along with Tim Whitaker and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived, and how we can better represent him and his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little bit more about us, let's get into the episode for this week. This is episode number 42, the second half of our discussion about Christians changing views throughout their lives. You will definitely want to listen to the first half in episode number 41 if you haven't already. In the second half of the discussion, we talk about maturity in our faith and how maturity lends itself into growing past some views while becoming more firm in others. The challenge to each of us is to focus on the commands of Scripture and how to apply them to every aspect of our lives. So let's drop in on this week's episode yeah you know i i found myself again this whole year has been a very unique year between all that anxiety stuff earlier and then just turning 30 it's just a different spot in life you know like just your mind just changes when that number is in your head a little bit and it's honestly i think it's a good thing now that i'm on the other side of it i think before i was so terrified of getting older but now i'm actually enjoying it um and for me, especially when I was in my you know early twenties, I had this really weird fear of being wrong. Not in the sense of like pride, but almost like in the sense of like not being saved or not. Like, oh, if we do this, does this mean that I'm not saved anymore? Because like it's not right. It was a. It's, as I think about it more, yeah. it's a very weird thing that that has kind of come out of this. To the you know, I think that's where a lot of my my passion came from was almost a fear of like well if we're not being totally biblical am i really a christian if i'm you know if i'm really not a christian am i really even saved if i'm really not saved am i even going to heaven that kind of like you know that like mental kind of road and so i've had a really i've had to focus on undoing that stuff where it's like tim this is not like a life or death situation that you're in you know like if you're if you're on a screen you're not going to hell because of that which sounds really (laughs) silly to say but i think that some of those those mindsets have come from that mentality of like well we have to be right we have to be right we have to be right we have to be accurate and i think that that of course that's healthy and to a degree you have to be right and you have to be accurate but i think i was I personally, I was so nitpicky over things that maybe aren't even scriptural. Like, like the gospel, you know, it's purposefully, I think, left out of how to how to conduct your Sunday morning gathering. You know, I think that there's a lot of flexibility there, and I have to be okay with some cultures might they might meet. You know, in India, who knows what what their service looks like? You know, who knows what what kind of setup they have? Maybe you know, whatever. Maybe in China, it's under it's underground church, it's in houses, and maybe sometimes in the states, maybe we're yeah, maybe we're a little too flashy, and maybe it's a little too rock oriented. But this is just how we do church right now. So how do I change that? You know what I mean? And be okay with like the tension of of wrestling with it in a healthy way, but not being afraid of like me being so wrong that my salvation is in question. If that even makes sense. I know it sounds nuts to say out loud, but that's a very real thought. Right. I think that has has uh, shaped a lot of my like beliefs, especially in the past. Yeah. I think when you like go down that like train of thought like you were going down like it kind of it doesn't make sense but it starts to see how like your mind can kind of 
go through that. Like, uh, you know, it's not that, that crazy jump from, Oh, I'm on the screen, therefore I'm going to hell. But it does, you know, you can, I can see how, you know, like, well, we're not doing this right. You know, is, is any of this right? You know, what are we doing here? (laughs) Um, yeah, exactly. And yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I think can be kind of like that almost like slope of, I mean, it's legalism in a way, just kind of like everything stylistically, everything, you know, that we do has to be exactly in line with the Bible when the Bible really doesn't necessarily have anything to say about that. (laughs) Yeah. I, I even had to wrestle through, you know, even getting a little bit more big picture here, even like my views on like other pastors or other like other you know um like worship bands that are famous you know like, like hillsong or elevation and i'm like you know, i think for a while i was like are these guys even like christians you know or are they just you know trying to make a buck but i have to believe that you know that if they believe in the risen christ for the forgiveness of sins and their songs reflect that even if they have some wacky views on certain things i have to be okay with that you know like i think as long as the gospel is there as long as the heart of the gospel of you know, Christ dying for our sins only through him is, is how we get eternal life and living with him is the best way to live. Like that kind of, you know, like basic, you know, gospel theology is there. I'm not sure like how like nitpicky I'm, I'm almost allowed to get. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, someone posted an article on Facebook a while ago about, um, you know, why I stopped singing Bethel songs. And mm-hmm. the article really made me think though, because they talk about, you know, some of their theology is a little wacky and, some, sure. people, some people that they associate with is a little wacky, you know, and at first I was kind of like in my anxious state, like, oh, they're totally right. I got to like burn all my Bethel songs, you know, <laughs> but then I started thinking through it. And I was like, you know, I started going through some of Bethel songs. I'm like, there are so many songs that are so beautifully accurate about the gospel and about our depravity and about being far from him and God's love overcoming that like, while, while I might really disagree with Bill Johnson on some serious like theological things, I have to trust that at the core of what he believes is the risen Jesus, you know, and like how that is the hope for humanity. So I go back and forth with that stuff, you know, because, um, as I've been getting older, I'm just kind of growing and realizing like, I think that God's like tent is a little bit larger than maybe what I thought. And I have to be okay with that and be uncomfortable, but also know like, okay, what are, what are really, really like the non-negotiables of the faith before? Like, we're just too far out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I remember that makes me think of, uh, the podcast that you recorded with my brother, Jesse, a couple years ago now. Um, just talking about like worship styles and, uh, my brother's a worship pastor in upstate New York. Um, and I've had conversations with him since then, even just about kind of his views on that and how maybe that's changed a little bit. Um, and I remember in one of the conversations we had, he was talking to me about just like, I was kind of asking him like, you know, do you still feel the same way you did about, you know, just kind of uh, like taking a song for what it is and, you know, like not worrying so much about, you know, the church that it happened to write that song, you know, and, and what their pastor preaches but, you know, what are those words saying? And he, he was basically just saying, like, yeah, and, and maybe even taking it one step further to, to really, like, when we're talking about, like, the songs we're choosing to sing as worship to the Creator, like, it's important that we are intentional about what those songs are saying. And I think that's really a good way to look at it and a good way to kind of, like, you know, it is, it's, it's a big thing. Like we shouldn't just, uh, pick a song because it, stylistically it sounds cool or, um, you know, it happens to be this style of music that's in right now. Um, 
you know, really going through like, are these words true? You know, are they going to glorify God (laughs) who I'm singing to? Um, And are they going to, you know, are they an accurate expression of this corporate worship? Um, And and some other things he was saying too, just about like, uh, you know, what, what are the songs that have like stood the test of time? You know, some of these like older hymns that, you know, like we keep going back to and it's for a reason is because they're awesome, (laughs) you know, theologically and, you know, they really express, uh, truth and they have for a long time. It's not just that they're part of a fad that's come in because they're some, because they sound cool. Right. Um, And I think just kind of like zooming out almost and like kind of seeing this whole concept of, you know, the music and worship and the style being something that's fleeting in a way, um, and the things that are really important and what's going to endure and be important about that, even that one single night of worship is really, you know, what was your interaction with the God of yeah. the universe? <laughs> yeah. And with things even like, like worship nights like resonate, you know, I, I think for me, I know like where we came from. I know when we had 40 people in a small room with a djembe and acoustic guitar and just singing our hearts out. You know what I mean? So yeah, like I was there at the first one. Yeah. You, yeah. You were there before <laughs> no, I was, <laughs> you know, but like, I remember that. And so for me being a part of a ministry as an example, like, like resonate, um, I'm much more at peace with what we do because I know, I know the core leaders hearts. Like I know why we're doing this. You know, I know the integrity is there. I know what the goal is. The goal is not to have a better light show. You know, that happened to be part of what has happened as the Calvary's improved their stuff. But with lights or not, we're still going to have these worship nights. You know what I mean? So, right. and then I've also realized too, and this is maybe a little more of like, um, maybe a little more out there, but it's still for me, like something that I thought about, you know, people who like program some of these lights, I think for them, it's like their worship as well. You know, I think that like sometimes like these light designs can actually be very like beautiful and glorifying to like the Lord and just kind of enhance that moment. And I think it's important that, that you call it what it is, you know, at, at the last resonate, I actually closed out the night. There was like maybe 400 people in the room. And I said, listen, these nights are like a sugar rush. Like we're aware of that, you know, like make no mistake. I'm not trying to manipulate you. Like we know it's emotional and that's intentional because these are special nights when we're getting together and we're worshiping the Lord together. But if your faith stops here, you're never going to grow. That's what we told them. You know, I said, you can't live off of a diet of sugar. You just can't do it. Is it wrong to have sugar? Of course not. Is it nice to have it with your dessert? Yeah, for sure. But if all you had was cake every night, you wouldn't grow. So these nights are not designed to make you a better Christian. They're just a night of overflow for you, to, for you to join with us in worship in a very special, unique way. That's all this night is, you know? And I feel good being able to tell people that because I know it's authentic and it's genuine, which goes back to that core, you know, I think value that a lot of us, especially us three have, is that I know what I'm telling people is that, hey, I'm not trying to, resonate is not trying to trick you into thinking that it was extra spiritual because there were lights. We're just doing it to enhance the night but that's all it is, you know, and it's not going to, it's not going to sustain your faith over the next month. You have to grow that on your own, right. you know? Yeah. I mean, we've been talking a lot about Tim's changing views, but, um, you guys know, I grew up in a much more conservative way than I think you, either Rob? you did. No, <laughs> I don't believe it. And, and, you know, growing up, I, I remember hearing messages about, and, you know, to this day, I still have heard, 
you know, some people won't even listen to K-Love because of the, the theology is wrong. So they're not going to even bother listening to the music. You, you know, if the hymn was written after 1900, don't even think about listening to it. <laughs> but I remember even thinking to myself, you know, you can't worship with a guitar. Like, that's it's not possible. <laughs> now, I've grown a lot past that and have seen and, you know, and have definitely been around where worshiping has been going on. Do I think that's fitting for, and Tim, you and I have talked about this, is that fitting for a Sunday morning gathering? We may have different views on what's fitting for that, but I think our core is the same. That gathering, however it, it is, however the local church there is doing it, is for the local body of believers. And we've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum on this podcast of it's what we're making it in America is something that's all encompassing for everybody. It's not going to work that way. That's not the model that the disciples grew up in. But I think there, there is room for in those things, you know, different people do different things. And who am I to say, all right, the Baptist church down the street, they are worshiping correctly, but the Methodist church, no, definitely not. Look what they're doing. And we're not the church police. And I think we're finally maybe coming around to, yeah. to realizing that. Barely, but I'm getting there. <laughs> um, and, and just being like, you know, we're okay with other people doing things other ways that they believe are in line with scripture and their, their conscience is okay with it. Yeah. Um, but I think um, reading into that, the book Letters to the Church, you know, it echoed so much of what we grew up thinking and challenging and saying, you know, go through your notes. I'm sure you'll find yes, seriously. Of the written in there. <laughs> You're totally right. <laughs> um, but just yeah, going through that, I, you know, it just makes you challenge your local church. Are we doing the things that we are commanded to do and concentrating on those things? Yes. Or are we getting distracted by, you know, oh, we have to fix the worship and we, we have to right. fix this. We, or are we saying, no, what, what's the purpose of the church? The rest of that will fall all into place if we get the structure right, if we get the, the core of what we're supposed to be concentrating on right. Yeah, I, you know, I resonate with that hugely because I think, I'm realizing that it's it's you know that that the church culture I think in the states needs help when most pastors don't spend most of their time pastoring, they spend it preparing, they send they they spend it um, you know um, team building, they spend it doing administrative stuff. Like I know pastors who spend so many hours in planning center online to schedule things, who spend hours you know working on uh, on church building maintenance stuff like that. It's like wait. Are you a pastor or are you just like a laborer? Because a pastor is a shepherd, you know, like who are you shepherding? You know what I mean? And I, after reading Francis's book, of course, you know, I'm all anxious again. I'm like, you know, convicted, like, you know, oh my gosh, like I'm missing it, but we're so wrong. But as I've kind of, you know, finished the book, I had time to, to really, you know, contemplate it and think about it. I think what Francis is saying, I, I think it's really good is like, is like what you just said is, is if we're focusing on the things we're not commanded to do and missing the things that we're commanded to do, we have it backwards. 
And one yeah. of the things that came out of that for me and Sarah, especially um, over the past like couple months, is we've personally been very convicted about how infrequent our, the evangelical church does communion. Because that's something that I think is very clear in Scripture to do each time the church meets. I mean, Christ says, whenever you meet, do this in remembrance of me. And we kind of tack it on at the end of a sermon once a quarter with some grape juice and bread in about 10 minutes and call it like communion, you know. And I was actually listening to uh, Matt, Matt Chandler today on a sermon on communion. It was it was really great and really like convicting. But one thing he talked about was how, um, you know, some things are sacred and he made it very, he made it clear that he's not talking about like how, you know, Christian and secular, not, not that, but how there are moments in life where it's good to pull back and be sober minded and to reflect and how communion commands us to do that weekly so we can be sober minded to remember why we do this, what we're really attached to, because I think we all have had moments of doubt or insecurity or just like, what am I doing? Or is this faith, you know, legit or what's going on? But communion brings you back to that place every week of like remembering why you're doing it, you know? So I agree with you, Rob. Like, I think that there are definitely, if I was, you know, in, in, in my new mindset now, in my new body of like, you know, more patient and loving and empathetic, you know, <laughs> I, my, my approach now is like, I love the church and I think we're doing great things. And I think that an important thing would be doing communion consistently because it's scriptural, you know, and it's healthy. And I think it brings about a sense of remembrance of a tradition that the church has been doing since the beginning of when Christ was around. Like, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? And I think Mm -hmm. that uh, if there ever was right now in evangelical culture, maybe a blind spot, that would be one of the biggest ones for me. Out of, out of anything that is so simple to change and easy to implement and something that we miss a lot, it would be communion. Yeah. I think it's just easy to ignore sometimes. <laughs> just like, eh, it doesn't really fit with the flow of what we're doing today. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. I've, I've loved, though, you know, the past two churches that I've been a part of have had communion every single week. And I love that. You know, it's just because they kind of present it as like, you know, this is, we're going to create this space, um, in the service where, uh, you know, we have time to reflect and respond to what God's doing in our hearts. Um, and communion is a part of that to remember why we're here. And I think you're right, Tim, like it's, it's something so simple and it's important, um, because it kind of shifts our focus. And it, I mean, it really, it's kind of, I feel like we changed subject here, but I don't think we really did because it's kind of really goes back to just everything else we've been talking about in this episode. Just like that idea that something so simple of remembering why we gather together, remembering why we're alive, you know, and why we have anything in common with these people, um, really centers our attitudes towards the rest of everything else that we do. Yes. You know, so the lights don't matter. You know, the, the style of music doesn't matter. You know, the order of the service and how we all sit and stand and, and things, those don't matter if we're remembering why we're here. You know, it's because of Jesus Christ and that he died <laughs> so that we could be in relationship with him. I think that's one of the reasons that I love Tim Mackey's podcast, the Exploring My Strange Bible so much. Every single one of them. I mean, it, it's obvious that they do communion every week yep. because every single one of his sermons, it's like, and as we go into communion, yes. and he applies the sermon so beautifully to say, let's remember, yeah, I was talking about your depravity, but let's take that as a springboard to remember 
this is why Jesus gave his body and spilled his blood for us. Or he's talking about, you know, being hypocritical. He's like, and let's take that as a springboard to, and he always goes right into communion. And it's such a beautiful picture of how we can bring all of these different thoughts, all of these different worship and bring it. And, and that causes that authentic worship is when we're thinking about, we're learning about Christ. It all comes together. And that's what really true worship is, is bringing to God. Hey, this is what, this is why we're here. This is the whole purpose of this church is to bring glory to him. Yep. I think you're right on the money, man. And it helps to realizing that there are good, God-fearing, Jesus-loving people in the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Sometimes I, I think it's, e- it's easy to feel like, well, no one is thinking about this stuff or no one thinks this way. It's like, no, like there are great people like who think this way, who like want more of the Lord, who are spending time with him outside of a Sunday morning gathering, you know? And I think Jordan, part of obviously my passion, I'm sure yours is, uh, is from when we, when we did that, that study on that book on Christian, remember that? Mm-hmm. And we're just like, the book is like just chock full of stats and just how so many people claim to be Christians. But when it comes down to it, they really aren't frankly, you know? And it's like, I think we see that we're like, like, how is this happening? And then we look at the church and we're like, oh, part of it's because, you know, the church believes that having someone walk down an aisle and sign a card and pray a prayer, like they're saved. And like, it's so much deeper than that. And so it's funny because in one way, um, I've grown a lot and been okay with a lot more things that I used to not be. In another way, I'm very, very, very almost more convicted than convicted than ever over certain things. Like the more I think about the idea of the altar call, the more I'm like, you know, I don't think this is healthy. Like, I just don't, you know, and it's a very, in this, in this, in the grand scheme of Christianity, it's a very new idea. It started like in 1700, you know, like that's, that's how new it is. It's not an old idea. And the idea of having someone walk down an aisle, you know, pray a prayer, sign a card, like I don't, and then we say, congratulations, that's it. I don't know if that's really it. I don't know if biblically, like that's, that's the gospel, you know, like it's, it's so much bigger than that. It's so much more vast than that. So in some ways I'm like, yeah, lights, whatever, you know? Yeah. I'm on a screen. Okay. Whatever. Yeah. Great music. I'm all about it. You know, I'm cool with it. But then in other ways I'm like, but this stuff, you know, communion, this, I'm like more, almost more stubborn mentally than ever on it. You know what I mean? I'm just not nearly as angry (laughs) as I used to be at like 21. But it, it seems like that's that's part of maturing in truth that you see. This is what church is supposed to be. This is a core doctrine of church. Communion is a command, a direct commandment from the Lord. So why wouldn't we have such strong convictions about how that should be done or how frequent or, or whatever the case is? And the the altar call is such, such a... a a shortcoming of what true salvation is. Like if you go through the stories of where there was real converts, Paul, the Ethiopian eunuch, you, you see all of these ones, you're like, this is not an altar call of here. That's great. Sign this paper, say this prayer and you're good to go, buddy. And you, we see that it's so much deeper than that. And that's causing issues with the core doctrine, with the core truth, with the core faith. And I, I think it's natural to, have you know the the external things that yeah give it or take it it's not going to change the the core of the church but some of these things that are as our faith matures and as our 
convictions mature and the truth we get more sure about, yeah, absolutely, we're going to be even more convicted about those things that are compromising you know, some of the core doctrines. Exactly right. I even think about like, hmm, are we loving our neighbor well as a church? Are we feeding the poor well as a church? Like those are very direct commands. Like I don't know how else to say it. It's not a political thing. It's not a social justice thing. It's just a biblical thing. Like we're called to love the poor. That's it. I mean, it's all throughout scripture. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. So are we doing that? You know, so I mean, I, I those, those are just questions that I ask because I'm wondering like, okay, and then, and then here's what happens though. I think in the past, at least for me personally, it's been a lot of like, well, the church should change, but now it's, well, Tim, are you changing? Like, are you feeding the poor? You know, are you discipling people? Are you, you know, thinking about ways to get some of this stuff done? Are you being the change with community that you want to see? You know, it's like, well, if not, then shut up. You know, like it's, it's, (laughs) it's not fair for you to put that expectation on everyone else, but you won't even be the change. So something Sarah and I have talked about is meeting with a couple other people once a month to do communion at our house, cook a meal, spend time really going through it, spend time reflecting, spend time in prayer, and then you know having a meal centered around what God's been doing in our life, very similar to what we used to do at Eleventh Hour, Jordan, um, mm-hmm. a couple of times. You know, because I'm like Sarah, like for us to, if we want to be the change, let's just be the change. You know, like let's not wait for a pastor to sanction it over his church. Let's just start doing it and see what happens. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've often said that to people that you know, have even left or have problems with the churches that I've been associated with. Uh, I can't believe this. I said, if you're seeing a problem, then maybe God's telling you you're the one to fix it. Exactly. And it's got, it's got to start with you. If you're not fixing it and you're leaving, well, God just lost the messenger that he sent to fix the problem that you saw. Yeah. And I was like, it, it, this, is, this is part of the issue with you know, Francis, I think, um, mentioned this in his book. Yeah, if you just, if you don't like what's going on, well, you just, it's like a fast food restaurant. Yeah. If you don't like chicken that day, go get a burger at someplace else where you're feeling like you're you're good. Where the Bible is completely contrary, that you have been called to the fellowship. God's spirit has drawn you to the local church that you're in. And until God's spirit leads you elsewhere, yeah. you better do everything that you can yeah. that, that God has you there for. Yeah, cool. right on the money. <laughs> Got anything there, Jordan? No, I think <laughs> I feel like ah, I feel uh, so much better now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can sleep you've, easy. You've you've answered my question, Tim. <laughs> I hope so. You know, and it's funny because I have thought. I'm like, you know, at first, you know, I'm the kind of person I'm I'm wired to be very. I like consistency. I like saying that I've been consistent my whole life. But honestly, part of life is change. I have to be okay with that. I have to realize that yeah. I'm going to change certain beliefs. I'm going to shift certain doctrines. I'm going to find more things convicting over certain parts of my life, and I have to trust that the Lord's working in all of that. You know what I mean? And I, for me to stay the exact same, wouldn't be really much of a life at that point. Just to be so stubborn as to stay in my old, in the same ways. I have to trust that the Lord used me and and changed me more like him in my early 20s, in my mid-20s, in my late 20s, and now my, in my early 30s. He'll so continue to do that as he prepares yeah. me for, you know, just the next part of life, you know, so. Yeah, it's crazy how much we, we think sometimes that we're changing other people or where we are being used to change other people. And uh, looking back, it's like, oh, it was me. <laughs> right. I was the one that was changing. <laughs> it's, it's honestly really true. The, the more I reflect on like just that part of my life and my 
core values and my beliefs, the more I realized like, you know, um, a lot of them have shifted, you know, and, and to, I think, I would, well, I would hope, you know, more Christ-like approaches to certain things. I think for a while, I thought of the word heretic too often. Does that make sense? Like, oh, well, it's not the exact same thing I'm thinking, so that person's a heretic, or it's way too, like, whatever I think it is, so heretic. But I think that, that the Christian faith is actually wider than I thought. Um, you know what I mean? Like, I think that, that it's almost a little more flexible than I thought in certain regards, because at this point, I'm like, are they preaching the risen Christ? Great. I was just reading in John today that like that that a sign of a false teacher is someone who does who does not preach the risen Christ. I'm like, wow. Well, okay, that really widens my net now, you know, because a lot yeah. of the guys that maybe I disagree with or have you know what I would call serious theological disagreements with, they still preach a risen Christ. You know, uh, they still preach right. a forgiveness of sins through Christ. So I'm not sure what I can really call those people. <laughs> brothers, probably. <laughs> brothers and sisters, right. you know. But I have to be okay with understanding that God wires people different ways and that God's big enough to probably be encompassed by all of them in some way, shape, or form, including my own personal beliefs. Mm. Good. Yeah. Well, I guess on that note, <laughs> I mean, it's been an hour, if you can believe it. Time just flies. Um, hopefully people are still listening if you if you made it this far give yourself a pat in the back you did it <laughs> proud of you and also my brand new computer worked flawlessly congratulations I am shocked my brand new MacBook which by the way was totally paid for by donations from this podcast I'm just kidding. It definitely was not. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we I don't think we've gotten a penny, but we have gotten some free coffee, so that was very nice. Yeah. I, I was gonna say, well, you better pass that on to yeah. me, but I I've been paying to host this stupid thing. <laughs> Listen, God <laughs> wants me to have this MacBook. He told me in a dream. All right. So anyway, that sounds, everyone that sounds th- accurate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Who knows when our next podcast will be? Remember remember guys when we tried to be every other week? Uh, so much has changed it's just life I'm okay with it it is what it is so more consistently inconsistent Tim there you go have a great night everyone thanks for listening thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology and Jesus podcast you can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com as we love to hear from our listeners until next time drink coffee discuss theology and love Jesus but where's the water What's your plan?